0: Don't take your mask off. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Roy, Roy gets it, man. He's
1: yeah. I he's mean, that's it seems it, fairly obvious, but I mean, hey,
0: man, co- the COVID fatigue thing though is so real. I think, and I think that's partly why we're getting the hot takes in response to what Kay said. And it's like, y'all do see the dashboards, right? Like, okay, you see where we're at. Yeah. You do? Are you sure? Because it seems like you've just served cool with 3,000 people dying in a day and it's whatever. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow. We are still playing sports, everyone. Yeah, we are still doing the thing. Um, basketball is in full swing, kind of. Um, <laughs> they, basketball is being played, um, only a few. Games were canceled. So there's that. And uh, one of the teams that was able to get an ACC Big Ten Challenge win is a team <laughs> that uh, my guest to help me break down mostly football, but we'll touch a little on basketball too, uh, is Miami. And so, of course, because Miami UNC are playing in football and it's a huge, huge game, I had to get Cam Underwood on, our friend from State of the U. Hello.
1: Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah. Thanks uh, for having me back.
0: You're great to have on. You're awesome and and you're going to, give us all the breakdown of Miami basketball that we need, right? No, maybe
1: let's go, man. I mean, look, we got Chris likes at point guard. I mean, you know, you likes that, you know, and everything like, Hey man, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he's a dynamic player, you know, we got a couple transfers in, you know, you got, uh, Cam Augusty on the wing, you got Nicer Brooks from, uh, Cincinnati at center. You know, like I was a basketball player growing up, you know, I wasn't, uh, the best player in the world, but I did get a little bit of recruiting interest from a couple of teams. Um, couple kind of mid-major squads i know that we were out joking about a mid-major off the air that's not a mid-major not that one um you know and everything okay. but uh no basketball lives in me in a different kind of place it's funny just because i've you know obviously over the course okay. of my blogging career transitioned so hard over to towards football but like basketball is like my number one so i mean uh we, we can do this all day let's go man
0: dude and miami did that miami beat purdue without chris likes like yeah. I I was very surprised, of course, pleasantly, but like I was like, wow, okay, so Miami's Miami might be a little frisky. They played again.
1: terribly, had fourteen points in the first half, were down by as many as twenty or twenty-two. I think shot over eleven from three and like four for twenty-three from the field in the first half. Like it was, it was atrocious. It was really bad. Uh, couldn't stop them. They had that seven-four center for Purdue, um, you know, who just. I mean, was abusing us inside and everything. It was, you know, it, it was a struggle. But then, you know, just start chipping away at it and everything. And, you know, if you've played any kind of sport, uh, you know, I was uh, a defensive stalwart. You know, I was kind of the the three and D, but heavier on the D side of of, right. of basketball when I played. So my mentality and, you know, that of pretty much every coach I ever had was, you know, the way that you make a run starts on defense. It's going to be stops and scores because if you just go back and score and score and score, you're not going to change the margin. You got to get stops in there. And Miami started getting stops and scores and stops and scores. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm here and I'm just kind of working on some stuff for, you know, football signing day. And I'm like, Oh, the lead's down to 12. Keep riding. Oh, the lead's down to eight. Yeah. What? Like, we're going to the line with a chance to take the lead for the first time since we literally led one to nothing. Like, it was an impressive performance. And, like, you know, we've talked a lot on the football side this year about having that never-say-die mentality and continuing all the way through the game regardless of the adversity. And we saw that on the basketball side as well.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And that that was exciting to see. Um, the league for a variety of reasons, feels insanely wide open to me this year. I don't see any dominant force whatsoever um, in in the ACC so far. Miami's been one of those teams that's played really well. But, you know, COVID, they started the college basketball season during the worst of the pandemic. Um, And Coach K, the other night, to be fair, he was asked about it, and he was asked about it because of comments uh, Jeff Capel made, his former assistant, about feeling like something doesn't feel right playing right now through this um but Kay kind of echoed that and and he was uh predictably and he even predicted it when he was making the comments he was like i know people are going to say i'm just saying this because we lost and whatever and 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 i don't think he cared and uh they canceled the remainder of their non-con um and yeah i mean look we've louisville i think is still on a pause or maybe they just came back from theirs nc state is on a pause and uh I'm sure. I'm sure. K. Maybe if he thought about it, he wouldn't have outed. Uh, uh, he wouldn't have outed Wake Forest. Uh, all the details there with with Wake and and what they're dealing with. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe not. Maybe he would have thought better before uh, he he outed the fact that Steve Forbes' kid and five players had COVID. Um, but I mean like I I think it helps drive home what we're dealing with like you hear wake is on a pause and maybe you assume like oh two players test positive and there's contact tracing or something like that or whatever Mm -hmm. but it was more serious than that and then I think it's worth hearing numbers like that so maybe people get it through their heads that like this isn't going to be easy. Like we are playing in not only a pandemic, but literally the worst part of the pandemic to date. So I don't know, man, and
1: not in a bubble like the NBA either, you know, we're okay. We're going to segregate and isolate ourselves for that and everything. Um, no, like we're just like, you know, boarding buses and planes and traveling across everywhere. And, you know, obviously you have more games, which means more travel and more exposure for, you know, uh, your, your basketball team and program and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot going on with that. And, yeah, I think that Coach K maybe... Uh, you know, obviously, he's a lightning rod kind of person just because people don't like yes. Duke basketball. And I'm a person who does not like Duke basketball like I don't. I grew up in Detroit and I, you know, took an affinity towards Carolina growing up in terms of basketball, even though my best friend in Detroit also watching the same ACC Wednesdays on ESPN became a Duke fan. I don't know where he went wrong in his life, but, you know, people don't like Coach K for a variety of reasons, you know, and yeah. it just... I think that this is a thing where they just took that opportunity to hate on him, but I don't, even as someone who doesn't love or like Duke basketball for, you know, just my fandom or, you know, my alma mater, Miami. Um, I think that maybe they were projecting a little bit.
0: Yeah. And you know, they, the thing is to, if you like read everything that Kay said to, he, he also talked about a lack of a centralized voice in college basketball. And that's been something he's been harping on for years. Yeah. Um, and, and it does. It feels a little bit like like there's no college basketball commissioner coming out and making statements, you know, like there's nothing like that. There's not a lot of centralized guidance. Like he said, everything's done by committee hmm. and doing things by committee is not the most agile way of doing things or, or handling crises or whatever it is. Um and, and he's right. And and yeah, I just I honestly thought that everybody would have a better it felt like football was well what, way more thought out, even though it was way more short notice, right? Like it was like yeah. oh, They had a solid plan for football with basketball. They were just kind of like, ah, okay, best of luck.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, football's going okay, so, like, we'll just play basketball.
0: Yeah, that's probably why, right? (laughs) What
1: structures and procedures we're going to have in place? No, we're just going to play. But no, no, no. The structures and procedures are why football is going great, so we're going to have similar kinds of structures and procedures for basketball, right? No, just roll the ball out there and play ball. Okay
0: yeah it's like maybe if they'd let the the conferences do their own thing like in football at first it looked like a disorganized mess and in some ways it has been Mm -hmm. but at the same time at least there was like somebody up at the top saying this is how we're going to do things and that's not (laughs) and this is how everybody's going to be doing them and, and blah 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 and that's like just not what's happening right now and there's just a lot of like disorganization and chaos and yeah, I just, yeah. It, it's what you said, though. I mean, you, you could not like Kay. And you know what? If you want to be mad at Kay about anything and, and say he's being hypocritical or wrong, if you want to say that about the fact that he will not keep his freaking mask on, I'm with you. I was I was triggered watching that. Um, yeah. Dude, like, they can hear you. There's no one in Cameron. Please, you are in your 70s, sir. Like, put your mask on. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, I mean, at the secret day job, we have to wear masks, obviously, and, uh, you know, we have to communicate through them and everything. And I mean, okay, look. I'm a trained singer i have this voice i know how to project even through a mask and everything but i mean what i love to be like now without a mask just in my home talking into the microphone like you know out in public and things like that yeah but that's not how it is but it's just like yeah cover your nose and your mouth because you know there's respiration that happens through the nasal pharynx and everything as well so that's also essential if you're wearing a mask but then also just do it please because like at this point yeah we can hear you and there's nobody in cameron indoors So, like it's not like you're in the middle of, you know, Woodstock or, you know, peak South by Southwest, you know, back eight years ago and everything in the middle of a, a pop up concert and all of a sudden or at Coachella in the pit and trying to scream to your best friend. There's nobody there, bro. They hear you. Come on, Kay.
0: I know. And and I'm just like, don't get coronavirus, dude. Like, please, you know, you're we, Jim Beheim got lucky, you know, right. I mean, and, and to be fair, like Jim's in great health, actually. Good. Like, Jim, Jim, Bob, Jim Bob, no, he's, I'm Jim Boeheim, excuse me. Jim is like he does like Pilates and stuff. Apparently is like a personal trainer like that dude, you know, he's older, but like he's in he's in good health. You know, he did have cancer though. Like he is a cancer survivor. So
1: wait, did you just break the news that Jim Beheim is on the TB12 method? Is that what just broke?
0: Oh, him? God, I sure hope not. <laughs> 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 oh no. No, please no, Jim. I like you. Don't do that. And I don't like Tom Brady. And every loss the Buccaneers take is 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 like manna for my soul. I love it so much. And and I and my husband's a Buccaneers fan and I don't care. It's wonderful. Um well, I mean, I if you don't have a
1: relationship husband, where you can make fun of the other person, then oh, what kind God. of relationship do you have?
0: Yeah. No, I, I yeah. I was I, I tried to get my kid into a Chiefs T shirt the day they played the, the Bucks, but um, my kid was not having it because he's now obsessed with Tom Brady because my husband is a propaganda artist. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. Uh, I It still would have been a great troll, whatever. Um, but yeah, that, no, the, I mean, is in good health, but like, like it's funny, Roy Williams is like terrified of it. Like he was like, he was critical after a game recently. And I think he was taking kind of a shot at whichever team they were playing during the Maui Invitational about like, like ESPN, I think, was asking him if they wanted to take if he wanted to take his mask off for the interview. He was like, no, I'm wearing it for a reason. Like, I don't want to take it off. I'm not going to take it off. We shouldn't be taking it off. Don't take your mask off. <laughs> like, so Roy, Roy gets it, man. He's.
1: Yeah, I he mean, that's it, it seems fairly obvious, but I mean, hey. <laughs>
0: Man, the COVID fatigue thing, though, is so real, I think. And I think that's partly why we're getting the hot takes in response to what Kay said. And it's like, y'all do see the dashboards, right? Like, okay, you see where we're at? Yeah, you do. Are, are you mm-hmm. sure? Because it seems like you just served cool with 3,000 people dying in a day and it's whatever. Uh, God, it's a nightmare. Oh, well, let's distract ourselves with sports. Let's do it. Good. Uh, well, Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech are playing right now. Um, I'm not even. I I wouldn't have spent a ton of time on this anyway, but I'm not going to. Uh, uh, I didn't even know they were playing. On I was going to say, yeah,
1: breaking news to me. I was 10 years old when I learned that.
0: I, I pulled up the scores to do the game analysis and saw it. Um, so, yeah, that's how I found out. <laughs>
2: mm.
0: Yeah, Jeff Sims just got picked off. That's it's right before halftime and pits up 16 to seven. Oh my God. So that's three field goals for Narduzzi. Of course it is.
1: Of of course it is.
0: God, he is the worst.
1: I mean, they did one of those, you know, punt from the 38 yard line on two. Yeah, they did. I was going to say they did against us. And I was just like, I question that decision, but thanks for the football. (laughs) They
0: they, they tried to field goal y'all to death. I remember that game because they were like, where they would get like close and then they would kick a field goal and everybody was like, dude, you know how much you're down, right? Like yep. what are you doing? The worst, the worst. I hate people that are anti fourth down math. Ugh. I mean,
1: look, I am against those people as well, but I love those people when those people coach teams <laughs> like playing against my alma mater. And like, like you said, yeah, just, you know, you give us the ball. It's just like, you know, we're ahead in the game. You just, okay, fine. Cool, bro. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: You do realize. Okay. Cool. You do get that, and you just are cool with making it look closer. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. Good God That's the worst.
1: That's like um, when uh, when uh, Florida State was beating Miami all those years and everything. Bud Elliott, who's now twenty four seven Sports uh, founder of Tomahawk Nation on SB Nation at the time, he would always bring up the point. He would say, "Okay, th- these plays." Especially in this rivalry between Miami and Florida State at that time, those are going to be the plays that determine if Miami's trying to win or Miami's trying to not get blown out. And I think yeah. it was similarly you know you know done for for Pittsburgh there.
0: It's just, okay, they're just the worst. Um, God bless Kenny Pickett. He deserves better than this.
1: You know, Kenny Pickett got all that he deserved in 2017 when (laughs) they found a way to, or we found a way to ruin our undefeated season. So he gets what he gets after that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. But that's, that's just Pitt's M.O. I mean, they're, they're ruiners. Um, this is really the only year they didn't ruin anything for anyone. Um, Except for themselves. Yeah. They just, they spent all the energy and turned it inward. So uh, (laughs) that's an interesting twist, I guess. Um. All right. I like to go chronologically because I'm weirdly OCD like that. Um, at least about this. I don't know why I'm, I'm OCD about nothing else. Um, <laughs> Wake Forest Louisville gets us started on Saturday. Wow. It feels like it's been forever since, gosh, maybe either of these teams have played, but certainly, no, Louisville played recently. Wake's the one that hasn't played in a while. Yes. They've been on a pod. Yeah. Um, so Louisville favored by a point. Um, okay. Why? But whatever.
1: I mean, maybe because we've seen them more recently. And it opened at Louisville minus four. So they got bet down to Louisville minus one. So people, the money's been on Wake Forest there. Um, I don't know. I mean, who knows what version of Wake Forest we're going to see? And, you know, I was concerned about that with last week or Louisville. (laughs) But I mean, I'm just talking about from being off for COVID. You know what I mean? Like you get a couple weeks off. That means you're going to be away from the facility for a little bit before reconvening and everything. So you don't have that performance momentum of having, you know, in season, you know, game, practice, game, practice, game, practice. So that kind of gives me pause there. But like Louisville's defense is pretty bad. Uh, You know, you're starting to lose guys, um, you know. Tutu Atwell just opted out for the NFL draft. You know, who knows what's going on with uh, Scott Satterfield, who interviewed for South Carolina and then said that he didn't, and then, you know, said something. He just sent a letter to uh, season ticket holders. Uh, you know about it and everything, so I mean, there's that, and I mean, I'm sure that Tutu's not the only guy who uh, has opted out or left the program or things like that. So you know, you have those things. So yeah, I mean, you really don't know which version of either team is going to show up, but I think that based upon what they put on the field and on tape this year, they're very similar teams um, in terms that you know they can get hot, they can get cold, they can score points, they can give up yardage and everything like that. So yeah, you know, it's 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 really a toss up to me.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Um, Wake did just have, I think, Kenneth Walker opt out, too. um, And, and, I mean, Satterfield, man, like, are you okay? I I don't understand. At least the apology was, like, an unequivocal one and well-written. Like, it wasn't like, I'm sorry if you felt this way or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Because, like, man, poor Louisville fans. They're just like, we just want a coach that wants to be here. Is that too much to ask? Like, it's a good job. I mean,
1: it is a good job. Bobby Petrino wanted to be there. He just
2: <laughs> you know,
1: ended up not being 100% great at the end. You know, and it is a a fairly good job, you know, there's a lot of things to like about it um and everything. And yeah, I mean, he was unequivocal uh in his uh Satterfield that is in his apology and you know, look, as a grown man, sometimes you got to stand on your word and you just said, look, I did this or whatever and I apologize for it and we're going to move forward authentically. And I mean, that's how I think you should do it. Just stare it in the face, admit that you're wrong. And I mean, you can move forward from that, but in terms of on the field, you have top level players on both teams that have opted out. You've had yeah. uneven performance from both squads. I mean, I, obviously you can get I mean, Dave Clawson does a great job at Wake Forest. Uh, They play to their strengths and they manage games pretty well. Uh, Even if they're high-scoring games, I still think that they try to manage those pretty well. Louisville is pretty much all offense and nothing else. Uh, And they will try to out-athletic you a little bit on defense. uh, But they can... I don't think that their performance is necessarily great. They're just like, we're going to have great athletes and they're going to let them athlete. And that athleticism is going to take them far. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But... I mean in that they're at home I'm going to go Louisville here but like it wouldn't surprise me either way if either team
0: Oh won. I wanted to look this up to be sure. So Wake has scored it looks like 115 points in the last two games against uh against Louisville.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. Now, on
0: here, Louisville has scored 107 and they've split the two games. Uh, wake, wake, uh, one 56, 35 and 2018 and Louisville won 62 to 59 last year.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, yeah, Miami has scored 105 in the last two years against Louisville 58 last year and 47 this year, or 52 and 47. So like, yeah, somewhere up there, 99, one Oh five, give or take, uh, so yeah, Louisville gives up points is what we're saying because we have two teams over the course of 2 years averaging 50 plus against them. Uh yeah. <laughs> you know, and like while like,
0: well, well, both of those teams have had their moments offensively, I don't think either one would, you know, n- neither of them were like the top scoring offense in the country, yeah. uh, you know, Miami or Wake. So that's a bad look to let up that many points.
1: And, yeah, and I- those are two teams. I mean, God forbid, do you want to look up what Clemson's done? Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, you know, so I mean, a Miami team that was pretty bad last year scored 52 and then 47 this year. So that's 99 across two years. You got 115 for Wake Forest, who's nobody's world beaters and everything. Clemson, I'm sure that they did, you know, uh, video game uh, pinball numbers also. So, I mean, yeah, Louisville's defense. And again, there's a lot to like on offense. There's a lot to like over about the entire roster in terms of athleticism and everything. But their defense, whoo, buddy.
0: Yes, it, you know, it, it, some of this is out of my respect for Dave Clawson as a coach. That I think I lean Wake Forest, and just it's been a rough week for Sat. You know, it just has, yeah. and and you have to wonder how how everybody responds to that. Maybe they respond and, and rally around him and play really well, um, but I don't know, man. It's just it's a lot. It's a lot that he's had to deal with this week. Uh, most of itself, well, all of itself, inflicted, frankly, Completely. but. Um. You know, he was honest that he would interview for you know one of the local jobs if they came open, too, like around here because he's from here. I actually thought at the time that North Carolina hired Mac Brown that they should have hired Sat. Oh and- well,
1: yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people thought that coming from App State and everything, like, yep,
0: mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit. I, I've rethought it a little bit. I'm not saying I'm wrong yet on the SAT being a good hire for UMC part. I'm just I, I, uh, I I'm having a little pause. I, I'm 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 a little hesitant I'm, to double down on that.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that you're hesitant because I think that Mac has been better than anybody thought he could have possibly right. in his return. You know, and it's just like, okay, we're going to run this back from, you know, before you went to Texas and you had a team, you know, they got to number two in the country. Fun fact I had a computer like on my computer, college football game years and years and years ago, and I used the Mac Brown. North Carolina team that was my squad because that was a dynamic team offense defense run the ball passing the ball everything and then you're like okay that was back when I was in high school maybe like early in college so we're talking you know the late nineties turn of the century or turn of the millennium or something like that and you're gonna recapture that magic and he has and it's I think that success. And the kind of like the kind of performance on the field, the recruiting, and obviously you get Sam Howell and Sam Howell does Sam Howell things. And that covers up a lot of the other issues or concerns that you might've had. I think the rampant success relative to expectation or regional thought that Mac has had is the thing that's contributing to maybe being a little more cautious about the take or thought that Satterfield would have been a good fit at that time.
0: Yeah. And he, you know, Credit to Mac, he learned his lessons. He did all of the things that I thought he would not do. Um, mm-hmm. He's really embraced analytics a lot. Um, he has thrown caution to the wind quite a bit, um, the anti Narduzzi at times. He's mm-hmm. he's hired, you know, like I said, he hired good coordinators, um, which I, and has let them have a lot of the control over what happens without meddling too much. He has, uh, and he hired really good recruiters um that know yeah. the state really well. So, you know, he did all of the things that I wasn't sure that he would do. I did a story when he came back actually at media day um and I asked players from other teams if they knew who he was. Nice. <laughs> I I asked Shaq Quarterman, former Miami linebacker. No. Yep. I'll never I'll never forget because he looked at me like, "What?" Like he had no idea. I'm like and and like when I told him Vince Young Texas, he's like, "Oh yeah yeah yeah." Remember, yeah, okay, I, I remember that, but like he still had no idea. I'm like, you didn't see him on ESPN or anything? He's like, no. And I'm like, you know, that like your coach was his like defensive coordinator, right? And he's like, nope. <laughs> he <didn't know> <laughs> <laughs> Most of the players, by the way, had no clue or they knew him as the Texas coach. They certainly didn't know him as the North Carolina coach, which I get because they're, you know, of a certain age.
1: Well, but then again, I mean, ask, I obviously were, you know, not. SEC people, but ask anybody to name one of Nick Saban's previous college jobs to Alabama, any player, how many are going to get one of them? I mean, maybe L- LSU, and maybe LSU if you're from there, nobody's getting Michigan State. And I remember Michigan State because he no. took over for George Perlis. And I mean, I grew up in Detroit. So like, you know, you'd watch the Michigan game. You'd have the Michigan State game. All, like, So I know that from then. But like, I, yeah, you might be get a handful who knew LSU. Nobody would be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, he, took, he coached Michigan State at such and such a time.
0: No, no, you're right about that. And maybe maybe people would say the Dolphins. I don't know. Um,
1: well, that's why I said uh, the college job, not a. <laughs> right, you know, right, but, right. Oh, well, but honestly, we're to the point now that the Dolphins' yeah, job is know. kind of in question, too.
0: Nope. I bet you they don't know. This is an interesting thought experiment for me. I wonder if I can pick some random acid that's not Mac and try this at another huh. media day once, once we're allowed to have these things again. Um, I might do that. I always pick something dumb. I did a Game of Thrones story one year, but that's also because I knew Dino Babers loves it. And so like, I got great stuff from him and some of the players that watch it. So it
1: cool. I but. randomly have the thought and it makes me angry that nothing in game of Thrones mattered because everything that they built for all those seasons, they tore down at the end. And I'm so very mad. And like, I just, I tweeted it out. Like, I think it was yesterday, like on my lunch break, I was just like, nothing matters. Like, all these things, these Easter eggs, like these things that we waited like years for, like in between. And I, I was not a book reader. Like I have not read the books. So I, I wasn't have. like, oh, you have.
0: I And so I blame George for this.
1: But my thing is this, like I so I would wait like the year in between the seasons and I'm still waiting for the plot points and development and things like that. But you get all these things and then they come together and then you're like, OK, this is building towards something major, something incredible. And then, in the end, literally, nothing along the path mattered at all. It just... Yeah, sorry.
0: No, I, I'm with you. It was completely infuriating. I, I, I agree. And this is George R.R. R. Martin's fault. Um, I've stopped tweeting at him to finish the book because I've given up on that idea.
1: You know, it's, it's almost not- like those of us who are waiting for Dr. Dre to drop detox because... <laughs> We're going to be waiting for that album and you guys are going to be waiting for what is it? A song of spring or whatever that next one is. Yeah. You're going to be waiting for that as long as we're waiting for detox and they're neither going to come.
0: No, it's not coming. I've just made peace with that in my heart, but like literally he was saying he was almost done with that book when they freaking started the show.
1: Right. Which was a literal decade ago.
0: Yeah. Just. uh, Okay. I can't see. That's what makes me mad because like I've reread the books since that happened or like since i you know i've reread them and read them again and i didn't even start reading them until the show came out so
1: oh yeah i i I went to barnes and noble one time here in fort lauderdale and i Mm -hmm. read the prologue which is actually like pretty much shot for shot the cold open of the series and i was just like oh okay and then like thinking back to it i was like the narrative description is great you know and i'm like i'm an avid reader and everything so i'm like okay cool yeah yeah and eventually i'm gonna buy the books and i wanted to read i was trying to wait till all the books were out but I'm like okay i'm not gonna read these things i also had my friend uh jahida she uh was a big game of thrones fan and everything so like we would get together with like a group of our friends we'd watch it on uh, on sunday nights and i was very calm in my speaking to her, but I made sure that she understood that the reaction video that she had from me from the red wedding was not going to see the light of day. And she was going to delete that. immediately. <laughs> like that I was <laughs>
0: on that. Like, so annoying because I wasn't to that part in the books yet. Oh, no. Yeah. And, I, and that's actually why that, that is why I started reading them is because I got spoiled on that. And I was like, no, y'all are not spoiling anything for me anymore. I'm going to know before y'all know, because y'all are going to spoil my life if I have to wait, you know, to see that that's, that's literally, I started reading them the next day because I'm like, no, not well, again.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there was all of that. And I mean, obviously like, that was a major one. I mean, being a lifelong musician, I picked up on the counter theme from the, uh, the, the reigns of Castamere In like with the the musicians during the and I was like, wait, hold on. And I went back to my music school training and I was like, Hold on, wait a minute, like, you know, thinking back to my counterpoint class, I was like, oh, wait. So I kind of had an inkling of that from the music, which did foretold foretell that the one that got me that was completely out of left field. And I mean, spoiler alerts for Game of Thrones, if you haven't (laughs) seen that, read that, or been aware, but when Jamie Lannister's hand got cut off. Yeah, that was yeah. the one that I lit. Like I, that was the furthest thing from my brain. And that
0: was before Red Wedding, or I'm not. That sure. was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know that one either. So yeah, that one did not. I was not spoiled on that, and obviously, I wasn't spoiled about what would happen to Ned. So like that didn't, you know that that landed with me, obviously. But like, I w- was so mad about getting spoiled about Red Wedding, and that's why I started right. reading that, um, and yeah. he's never going to finish. And uh, Dino Babers, I hope you listened to this podcast um, because it was for you. Um, so,
1: because, you're welcome, like, Dino.
0: I mean, to be fair, I, there's plenty of crossover amongst my listeners and Game of Thrones viewership. I am 100% convinced of that. So, this, mean, yeah, just, will not be lost on anyone. Um, yeah, there's definitely some cool stuff in the books, though. Like that's that didn't make the show for reasons that I mostly understand. Um, so, like if if that does you know it's it, and they're easy reads there's one book that bogs down a lot i think it's the fourth one okay um they spend a lot more time with the sand snakes than we do let's just put it that way okay yeah Got
2: it.
0: and uh it's a little boggy downy and but you're y- like no i don't want to do this right now like one, no. of the,
1: one of the my favorite things that didn't make it to the screen for something and uh, we'll, we'll get back to football guys i promise but um <laughs> I read all the entire Jason Bourne series by Robert Ludlam. I read the books. They are dense. They are, um, but they're quick reads. They're very uh, organic. They're well thought out. Like he walked all of Paris and everything for the original. So if you've seen the Bourne identity, when he and Marie leave or in the process of leaving the consulate, that's where the movie and book diverge at that point. But the prologue is about this mortal enemy of Jason Bourne's named Carlos the Jackal. Mm. And it was it's pretty That's cool. A real yeah. Well, yeah, but it's it, it was also <laughs> in the into the book. So it's like, OK, cool. This person, a real person is the mortal enemy. And they had like press clipping and it was like a five or it's ten like page a, thing.
0: like a, a terrorist hijacker in the book as well.
1: See, it kind of, but yes, yes, he was. And then that, but that was so integral to the, it was a thread that went through all three books. So there is no Carlos the Jackal in one of the books, but somebody uses the threat and the specter of him to incite the action they want from Jason Bourne. So I'm watching the movie like, okay, cool. And there's no mention. And I'm like, this is literally the preamble to the first book that sets everything into motion. And it wasn't seen. And that was just one of my literary things that I wish they would have found some kind of a way to, even if they kind of fictionalized the real person even more, but to still have that character, like a a mortal enemy that at every moment that you're breathing could show up around the corner for a mortal battle was gone. And it just, I mean, I would have liked to have seen it.
0: Books to movies. Just- never never goes the way you want um speaking of the red wedding though i will disrupt my chronology a little bit because duke florida state is around the same time yes carolina miami four o'clock on acc network um i want to say as little as possible about this football game except the one interesting subplot um well maybe only interesting to me but is that Duke has never beaten Florida State. I mean, that's not hugely surprising, right? Considering the two histories of the school. Mm -hmm. But, like, Lord knows if you're ever going to do it, Duke. Now's the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you got Miami twice in a row uh, the last two years uh, before, obviously, you know, getting curb stomped last week. Uh, You know, so you you made some good on that. And now it's, what, 14... I think Miami leads the series 14 to 4 after this mm-hmm. year's win. Um, but yeah, if you want to get in the win column against Florida State, this would be the time.
0: So I looked it up because I was curious. In 2017, it was a seven point game. Um, that was like the beginning of FSU's decline, but they weren't there yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they still had James Blackman at quarterback at that point, but they weren't there yet. They still had a lot of talent all over the field, Cam Akers, et cetera, et cetera, right? Then. But, like, the 19 games before that, FSU won them by an average of 34 and a half points. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, boy. It was, yeah. Yeah, that's what I city right there. I mean, Duke had the misfortune of, like, not, like, when FSU was bad in the mid-2000s, they didn't play the, or they played them, but, like, Duke was also still bad. Um, they've only played them, I think, three times since Cut's been there. So, Yeah. Um, that's unfortunate for them, and yeah. and one of the times was the ACC title game in 2013 when FSU was <sighs> stomping everyone. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, and the other time, another time was the year before that. So like,
1: oh, so almost at the height of their powers, and then at yeah. the actual height of their powers. Yes. Good luck.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be this year. Except Duke is garbage. Um, Duke Can is- confirm. Yes, you can. You definitely can. Um, I mean,
1: played both of these teams. We beat Florida State by six touchdowns and beat Duke by seven touchdowns. Um, I don't know, man. You know, uh, this is... We've talked too much about this game. It's going to be a rock fight. It's going to be really ugly, and nobody's going to watch it because you're going to be watching a good game, i.e., Miami and North Carolina, yeah. anyway, at the same window. So, somebody's going to end up winning this game. So, there's going to be a three-win team and a two-win team at the conclusion of Florida State uh, and Duke. Doesn't really make me any difference which one. For me, myself personally, I would love it if it were Duke who won this game, just so I could continue oh, my be laughter. Better. Florida State.
0: It'd be uh, yeah, that'd be you know they think they have they've hit rock bottom. Well, you just wait until you lose to this new team that has thirty-five turnovers in ten games.
1: Yeah, oh. it, they—it was almost like they were actively trying to give Miami the ball last week. I was like, okay, they—they've turned the ball over a lot da, 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 and everything, but then like, uh, like they actually started turning the ball over, and I was like, oh my god, this is like every other play almost. Like, what is going yeah. on? Yeah, and yeah. it's the most turnovers since San Jose State like three, four years ago. And that was oh, a lot of right. yeah, Right. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I tweeted that out. And then you were popped <laughs> in my mentions like, oh, wait. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. So 2013, I want to say.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's about right. And uh, San Jose State, I don't think that they're going to get to 42, Duke. But San Jose State did have, I think, the most fumble losses in a while. And they had 22. Um, And so Duke has 19. Yeah, they could. They could get there very easily.
1: <laughs> I mean, they could, and I mean, if their ball control is anything like it was last week, which I mean, Miami, we yeah. didn't even like do much. It wasn't even, you know, when you have guys running up the middle and then you see the defenders and their arms are way up in the air because they've been trying to rip that ball out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't even like we did a lot of that. It was just like yeah. form tackles, and oh, the ball's on the ground, and it's just like it was just like, yeah, it was crazy.
0: It's it's like it's systemic and it it's... Uh,
1: uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it definitely... Because it's in the course of normal events and the ball's yeah. all of a sudden on the ground. Like, it's definitely more than just, okay, you know, one person, you know, Tiki Barber that year in his career had all those fumbles and then he reworked the way that he carried the ball. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like one person keeps getting the ball and putting it on the ground. It was multiple dudes. And it was just, yeah. cool, like cookies on the ground. Cool, let me get that. It was just like... Yeah, it was crazy.
0: By the way, and that does transition us to Carolina at Miami because, like, you know Carolina Carolina's had some poor turnover luck this year, some of it of their own making, like Mac Brown's been talking about, like they need to get their hands on more balls, et cetera. But you know they have bad turnover luck when Duke only turns it over twice against them. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, and one was a pick. So, yeah, um, that does get us into that game, though. Look, I, I was impressed. With the way Miami played, I mean, I know Duke is tire fire bad, but like they still came out and didn't mess around and, you know, they, they made my job easier because I'm, you know, I didn't have to pay close attention to that football game for work. And I appreciated that very much.
1: Yeah. um, I was pleasantly surprised with the way that Miami came out because, you know, uh, having a two week, layoff and then game week. So you're playing three weeks uh, after, you know, because of COVID. So you hit the field three weeks to the day after the last time that you were on the field. Uh, That's a big difference Uh, in the course of time. Obviously you have a lot of guys who are away from the facility. You had your COVID positivity. You had the contact tracing that goes along with that. Miami was down 13 guys. The last time that they had played previously at Virginia tech, Miami had 15 guys out this last week.
0: By the so, way, I retweeted that when someone tweeted it and, and all the Duke fans in my mentions were like, won't matter. No.
1: <laughs> cool. I mean, <laughs> it was it was, you know, the main idea of it was we had the Eric King and they didn't. And it was like back in the day when Florida State had Dalvin Cook and then we did not. You know, it was just that singular talent was pretty much going to propel us forward. But. You know, you don't know what the team is going to look like. You know, you're still missing multiple starters on both sides of the ball. You're reworking the offensive line a little bit uh, because of guys who are out the defensive line as well. Uh, You know, so you think about those things. And on top of that, Manny Diaz has struggled after bye weeks. You know, he lost the first four games after a bye three last year. And then I mean, all three last year. And then the first we uh, after the bye, the first game after a buy this year just so happened to be on the road at number one Clemson at the time.
2: That's yeah, not that setting up a right. Not.
1: I mean, that's not necessarily emblematic of everything, but it was still 0-4 after a bye week, you know, not necessarily going great. You get a win after a bye week, you know, later on, and then you have this big gulf of time afterwards. It's like, I don't know how this team was going to respond. You respond by, you know, beating, beating the brakes off of a bad Duke team, which is what a good team of Miami aspires to be should have done, but I wasn't necessarily sure that we were going to have that kind of performance. So the fact that we did was very encouraging for me.
0: Yeah, I I, I thought that was a really good thing because, you know, before the break, there you, Obviously Miami had won, but he was a little shaky at times. Um nothing wrong with that, but he's a little shaky. <laughs> not not always the crispest of performances, but mm-hmm. um so yeah, like for them to do that was a very good sign. And um, do you know if anybody's still missing against Carolina?
1: Um, well, the one that we do know is that Al Blaze Jr. was diagnosed with uh uh let me not say it wrong hold on one myocarditis? second. myocarditis
2: myocarditis oh, yes God, no
1: yeah yeah. so uh, that came up uh, during a blood check uh you know blood work for covid so he has myocarditis uh which is uh inflammation of the heart muscle um and so he's going to be out obviously he's undergoing treatment for that for three months uh and whatnot and hopes to make a full recovery and return so uh he had been out previously uh you know, before the COVID break. Um, so I think that he did have some contact tracing or positivity, but then that also came up. Uh, so he is out for the year, obviously because of that. Um, Hopefully we get some of these other guys back, though, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. But I mean, you know, you're missing starters and like uh, Zach McLeod has been here for five years. You know, uh, John Ford, Jared Harrison Hunt, who's uh, just really skyrocketing as a defensive tackle as a redshirt freshman this year uh, into the starting lineup and looks to be a guy who can be a, you know, top 90 or higher draft pick down the line. I mean, he could probably even be a top 50 pick if he continues on this kind of, uh, upward trajectory path. But, uh, you know, those guys have been out and everything like that. So hopefully these guys do go back. But yeah, the one that we do know for, for sure who is out is, uh, Blades with the myocarditis and, you know, obviously we wish him a safe recovery for the future, not yeah. for this week's game.
0: Yeah. I've been pleasantly surprised that there hasn't been more of that. Yeah. Um, but that, that sucks. And I, I hope he's okay. Um, cause it's scary. Uh, Okay, so Mac Brown all week has been sort of referencing Notre Dame as a point of comparison, um, at least defensively, um, okay. although he hasn't specified that in terms of what they're going to see on the lines of scrimmage. How do you feel about that in terms of uh, like how accurate that comparison is?
1: Between Miami and Florida State on defense? Uh, oh, I'm Miami. sorry, Miami and Notre Dame?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that that is pretty accurate. Uh, I think that Miami can be more athletic on defense if we play yeah. the more athletic guys, uh, especially at the second level of linebacker. Um, you know, um, but these are guys who've been out. You know, guys like a uh, a Sam Brooks at linebacker, like an Avery Huff, who's kind of a backup rotation guy, but he's very incredibly athletic. Um, you know, but along the front line, and again, I already mentioned Jared Harrison Hunt and John Ford. If those guys are back. At, you know, John Ford is what, 6'5", 3'10", Jared Harrison Hunt is 6'4", 295", uh, former star basketball player from Christ the King in New York City. Um, if you get those guys back at defensive tackle, then I think that that's very comparable. Uh, but I mean, it, and then if you put... Jalen Phillips, who's playing like the number one overall recruit in the class of 2017 that he was, if you have a Quincy Roche playing to the level where he was the uh, ACC defensive lineman of the week last week and looks like, you know, he's elevated his play from when he was the AAC uh, defensive player of the year at Temple last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as athletic as, if not more athletic than uh, Notre Dame's defense, I think that that's a fair comparison.
0: Um, so what concerns you? About what North Carolina can do, because the one difference I see, at least in terms of results, is I feel like there's not a lot of spots that I would point to as weak spots on Notre Dame's defense. Um, The line, for sure, I would say is comparable. Miami's Mm -hmm. is comparable. But I don't know. I mean, we've definitely seen them um, at times let up some yards um, for various reasons, I'm sure. Whereas Notre Dame, I think, has been, you know, other than the Clemson game has been pretty, pretty consistent in terms of limiting what opponents do. Um, that was that's one difference that I kind of noticed, but I mean, what, I guess what scares you is it, like, is it the past game? Like what, what can Carolina do you feel like to, to, you know, exploit the defense if, if Well, of course they want to, but
1: you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I mean, the thing for me is Miami has been bend but don't break on defense a lot. Uh, And I think that's the mentality from Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator. Um, What concerns me is with a better offense on the opposite side of of our defense, that the bending will turn into breaks. Um, you. You know what I mean? And yeah, you're talking about some of those games that Miami won closely. Like, I mean, Virginia, sure, they're fine, but they don't have the kind of offense that Carolina does. Uh, right. I mean, honestly, I think that this is the second best offense that we're going to see this year behind Clemson, even over Louisville, who is a great offense, who puts up numbers. You know what I mean? And
0: I don't even know. You know, it's weird. Certainly, Clemson's personnel is better, right? Mm-hmm. Probably. But like, I don't even know that I wouldn't put Carolina's a notch above.
1: Well, I mean, and that's the point. This is at the top level of opposition for Miami's defense. Mm -hmm. So it's been a lot of bend, but don't break. And you saw against Clemson, those bends got broken. You know what I mean? So that is what concerns me for one. And then yes, it's the defensive backfield against the North Carolina passing game, because I think that, You know, Miami does have guys who love to play the run on defense. You got guys who will get upfield, especially from that second level of the defense. And will obviously try to crash to the run to take that away because a foundational tenant of football, whether it's, you know, old school or current is run the ball and stop the run. And that's how you win games. But then you got to stop the passing game. And look, you're down Al Blades for the rest of the season. Now, I know he's missed a yeah. previous couple of games, but boom, you already had Christian Williams transferred out of the program. You only had six scholarship cornerbacks to begin the year. So now you only have four scholarship cornerbacks, including two true freshmen. Then you have safeties who are good. But not necessarily skilled in terms of man coverage. And you know, from alignment, North Carolina is going to try to get you into man coverage mm-hmm. and then scheme one on one so that Sam Howe can throw vertical one on one routes like it's a recruiting camp and then running one on ones. But mm-hmm. hey, it works and they're dynamic. They're incredible at it. So I'm not saying that in a negative way. They well, scheme it into the way that they want to have it happen. So now, are you going to trust? Corey Couch is very good, he's a very good cover cornerback he's not even as big physically as Trajan bandy was. Mm-hmm. So like you have a very Carolina's good cover guy who's tiny
0: at receiver too. Carolina's got some height and obviously skill.
1: Um, Hello. Hello. So yeah. now I got a five eight five nine guy going up against whichever receiver, insert name here, and he's supposed to lock him down the entire game, including on some 50-50 jump balls. Because again, that's what North Carolina will scheme up because you think that you have bigger, better, faster, stronger wide receivers than the defensive backs covering them in that case. I mean, at least from the physical standpoint, that'll be true. DJ Ivey on the other side has good size, but he's only one. Then you're counting on Isaiah Dunson and Marcus Clark, two true freshmen to step up, or... You're trying to have Bubba Bolden, Amari Carter, or Gervin Hall step up with man-to-man coverage. And look, those guys are all future NFL safeties. They're all going to make money by playing football in the defensive secondary for somebody. But what they're not going to do it because of is their man-to-man coverage skills. And if people are listening to this and thinking like, oh, like I'm just saying this. No. If you go back and watch the film, right? Miami put Bubba Bolden one-on-one against Tutu Atwell in the Louisville game. Oh, boy. And he got lit on fire. One on one. I mean, it was the stats after, I mean, even you're looking at traditional stats, analytical stats, whatever you want to look at. If yeah. they had number one for Louisville lined up against number 21 for Miami, man to man, the ball was going to number one for Louisville and they were getting yards in a cup of one time, at least they ran a quarter route, and then they put some points up on the board because of that one-on-one and he couldn't cover them. Right? So that's not an area of strength for him or any of those safeties in that group. But Unless you're going to task that kind of coverage, the man coverage across the board to, you know, I got a true sophomore into Corey Couch. I got two true freshmen in Isaiah Dunson and Marcus Clark, and then a junior in uh, DJ Ivy. Unless you're going to give those guys all the coverage responsibilities, that means that you're going to have a linebacker and or safety or in the worst case scenario, maybe on a zone blitz. One of those dynamic defensive ends dropping and playing some kind of, you know, intermediate or short kind of coverage.
0: Yeah, I'm one in the back, maybe, yeah.
1: That's what that's what gives me pause, honestly. Yeah. And like because if I'm just looking at what they've done and their their skill set and physical abilities mm-hmm. uh, on both sides, I think that the the clear advantage has to go to Carolina's receivers. And the only thing that I hope to help against that is the fact that Miami's defensive line is playing with their hair on fire, getting up the field, penetrating and disrupting the timing and ability for Sam Howell to sit yeah. back there. But if Sam Howell has time to sit back and pat the ball a couple few times, both surveying the field and picking out a receiver, that's probably going to go way better for Carolina on offense than it will for Miami on defense. And that right there is what concerns me
0: that's the big question mark for me is can Carolina give Sam Powell enough time? Can they, you know, manufacture enough of a running game to keep Miami honest in that way? Those are the big questions that I have on that side. And then, you know, on the other, it's just, can Miami, you know, in some of these games as good as Derek King is and he's great, you know, Miami's O-line as we know, we've talked about it is, is a little shaky. They've done a good job disguising it. You know, they really have. They've done a good job, uh, mostly, in, in a lot of I mean, Duke's front is good. Duke's guys can get sacks. They only had, what, two sacks in that game?
1: like Something like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, some of it's Derek King of avoiding being sacked. He's so um, good.
1: He's so good.
0: Yeah, so good. And, but some of it is the O-line is shaky, and we know that. Um, so that's another question for me is just can Miami – Miami will need to score enough. You know, to keep pace. Cause I feel like this will be a high scoring game. That's just kind of my feeling. Maybe I'm wrong and it'll end up being some like weird, uh, low scoring, uh, you know, mistake filled affair that we've seen Carolina Miami be in the past. But I feel like it could be a high scoring game. I really do.
1: Yeah, I mean the over under right now is sixty seven and a half. So with the three point line in favor of Miami, you know, thirty-five, thirty-two give or take <laughs> um, that's mildly high scoring for me. I think that, yeah, it's, it's going to take crooked numbers up on the board um, and really just, you know, Rhett Lashley on as, as our offensive coordinator is going to have to dial some really, really great plays up and just, you know, at the core of things, you have to let Derek King be Derek King, you know? Uh, and I think that, I mean, cause clearly as he goes, our offense goes. Um, and I, I mean, it yeah, he, he's just so good, and he will also cover up some of the deficiencies for the offensive line, like you're talking about. And I mean, I think back to the UAB game, he should have gotten sacked. He did a half turn uh to his left, climbed the pocket. There's another guy staring him in the face. He does a reverse half pivot back the original way, and then he scampers for like 20-something yards. You've all seen this play from the beginning of the season. But uh-huh that play right there is just so emblematic of what happens because even against duke and they had you know chris rump the second who's a defensive end uh who's probably going to get drafted you know what top 45 you know overall and, I mean, he he would be around the corner in a couple plays, and then all of a sudden, like, poof, just like that. Like, Kaiser Sosa, he's gone. And you're looking around like, wait, I thought I had a sack here. Like, this guy hit the top of his drop. I know that they're going vertical routes, so that should be a seven-step drop. So he should have been right here. I should be getting up and celebrating this sack. And then you're looking like, oh, my God. The safety just tackled him way over there because he will – find a way just to wriggle around and move. And I mean, look, even if you step out of an eight yard sack and you gain one, that to me is, I mean, it's a 10 yard game. Yeah. It just is. Instead of second and second and 18, you're in second and nine, second and eight or something like that. That's invaluable to a, an offense, especially, you know, to, to the Miami offense. So you got to, you know, set up those things, uh, those opportunities and, and, and hit them, uh, you know, for, for us. And Oh, one of the other things I meant to say about the defense, Carolina, you know, when they scheme their one-on-ones, they hit home runs. They have the most explosive plays of 20 or 30 more yards uh, in the country. Those are the things that Miami has made a living limiting. And that's what I was talking about on the bend, but don't break. It's been a lot of nickel and dime. Even if you look at uh, the Clemson game, they did hit the one play this it was a swing route to Travis Etienne took a bad angle on defense stopped our feet and we let him out the you know up the sideline but other than that most of everything was like in front of the defense and then they kind of just matriculated the ball down the field carolina they're not about driving the ball they're about finding and taking an opportunity a shot play and they're hitting it and making it and yeah, that's something that we is- also had to stop
0: yeah, the longer you make them stay on the field, the more apt they are to make a mistake, too. Um, their O-line is, um, you know, it, it's okay. It's not horrible, but it's not great. They're, they're youngish at spots. They've given up, I think for are 109th, I want to say, in sacks, given up. Um, okay. And there have been games this year where, you know, Sam Howell, who he has a little scoot to him, too, um, but he's not the Eric King in that way, um, where he has dropped back and had a guy in his lap. And um, he's done a better job of understanding when it's okay to just take a sack or when it's okay to throw it away or whatever, but sometimes he hasn't even had time to throw it away. So that'll be interesting to see too. Is just, can they, you know, can they give him enough time to make the plays that, that he's going to try to make? And, um, Yeah, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting. Virginia had a really interesting game plan, partly because they were down so many in their secondary, where they were basically just like, we're going to sell out to stop the run. And we know they're going to hit big plays on us and screw it, because at least we'll get the ball back and then just play ball control. Um, And I was like, "Um, interesting strategy, but I guess it worked. So not knocking it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, more than one way to skin a cat, as it were. So
0: right. And so, like, yeah, they, they were basically like, all right score on a big play then we'll just get the ball back and keep it for three hours um which they did and yeah carolina's defense has had it shaky moments too um chas i mean max all but said he's probably going to be a spy and king he probably leads the country and almost sacks Even <laughs> Beckett, where he gets on a guy and just can't quite get him all the way down so maybe some of that's a product of him being you know a relatively young player at linebacker specifically but yeah, I mean, his athleticism is there. He has the speed, but it's just a matter of if, if he can, you know, get King down and, and help contain him because that's going to be a big thing. And they have a lot of young pieces on defense, especially in the secondary, which is why it's been a mess for them at times. <laughs> and their front's not quite as good as it was a year ago. But, um, and not that it was great last year. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, it's not, it, it, it's been a little bit of a growth process for them. So, um, it'll be interesting. It's probably still a little bit more, more favorable, a little bit more favorable of match matchup for them uh, than it was against Notre Dame, for example, and they played well in that game. So yeah. I, if they play as well as they did in that game it, against Miami. They'll, they'll give Carolina a chance at least. Um, but, uh, it'll maybe be some big Ian book energy. Uh, it's not a sentence I ever thought I would say. Um, I'm just (laughs) it's really not a thing I ever thought I'd say. But like he was great in that game and he's really been good since the Clemson game book, I mean. So you know
1: every time that I think of Ian Book, (laughs) I just think of 2017, (laughs) Trajan Bandy, that interception, break out the chain again, you know, the iconic call from uh you know um Fowler and everything during that game. I just uh that's what I always he's always that guy. You know, every time that I see him, every time I see them play, it's kind of yeah, like I you know.
0: And then I don't know, like he's just just really impressive, even against BC, who I thought I thought they were ripe to lose that game, and they didn't. They and yeah, I, I think I was, so. I was impressed. I was impressed. I've been impressed with him. You know, it's funny. Uh, Caroline Darney and I have. She texted me when I was tweeting something positive about Ian Book, and she's like, "No, don't fall into this." No, because she doesn't. She also just kind of, I think, thinks he's a little. You know. Eh. Um, yeah. And I was like, look, I, you know,
1: he's been impressive. So I I mean, I guess I I was going to say, he's kind of like, you know, when you get back together with your high school friends and everybody falls into those same roles that you had in high school, that for me is every time I see Ian book, I'm just like, I remember when you were freshman and you threw that terrible interception. And like Miami had the biggest win that we've had in the longest time. Like anytime I see you, like you're that guy. So
0: Ian book took his glasses off. Put on some makeup, you know. That's all it takes in those movies from high school, right? So.
1: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, he he got clothes that finally fit and showed off his athletic figure, and all of a sudden, hey, he was a popular kid. I guess. Than right.
0: just friends, I guess maybe like the former fat, like the former fat kid who turned up thin, and, and right. everyone Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, um, we talked too much Notre Dame already, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, I, okay. This is the last thing I wanted to ask about this game, I think, at least locally. I we look at this a little bit as a referendum on North Carolina season partially because they lost the FSU game which is okay. inexcusable.
1: Oh and my god. That, that yeah. yeah. I it, I thought I was in the twilight zone watching that game because like
0: I feel like it and I watched it like it, it's unreal.
1: It yeah. it was unreal.
0: <laughs> They're garbage. They were garbage then. They're even more garbage now, frankly. Um and so yeah, that's an inexcusable one and I think but I think if they beat Miami, you know, and get to an orange bowl, all things get forgiven, you know, from that perspective. And people are able to just chalk it up as a fluke. If they don't, I think that sticks out way more um, for obvious reasons. And I didn't know if Miami, if it's the same way or if everybody's just all cool and everything's all good with Manny Diaz and, and, and the staff at this point, or if it's a little more in between.
1: Everything all cool with the Miami Hurricanes and this fan base will never, ever, 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 ever be the case, even if we win, okay? (laughs) Like, And I mean, undefeated national championship, then it'll be like, okay, well, we're going to talk about margin of victory and why we gave up too many first downs against whomever. Like, yeah, that'll never be the case. But um, this is a big game in the story of Manny Diaz's tenure as coach. Uh, I think that we do need to see – uh, you want to see a win, obviously, like if, if for nothing else, the revenge factor, because if last year was supposed to be rock bottom or as close to it as we're going to get, you bounce back from that with a win. Uh, and, you know, like we're the you are the team, the program that became iconic by blowing teams out and dancing on them and celebrating and trash talking all of those things and being the brash braggadocious jerks that we are. So look, fine, you beat us and then you're going to give that back that energy back to us because you finally, after all these years, have that opportunity to do that. That's fine. But you have to back that up then with a win in the aftermath because you gave them some ability to do that last year and say that. But you have to back that up or, you know, rebound from that with a win. So this is really important. You're building towards having hopefully a one loss regular season, uh, making it towards a power six bowl game, uh, you know, or a new year six bowl game, excuse me um, and everything. So like this is, it's not necessarily an entire referendum, especially because we could have the rescheduled Georgia tech game next week on the 19th. uh, So there could be another regular season game after this one, depending on what the ACC does. And if Miami is of value to them or not, uh, you know, because obviously they, adjusted the schedule in favor of Notre Dame and Clemson. I bet
0: Georgia Tech would want to do
1: that. No, no, I'm talking about the ACC. Oh, uh -oh. because the ACC is the one who came in. They altered the schedules and said, okay, cool. Hey, look, this is all done this is the AFC championship game. If you were scheduled to play Notre Dame or Clemson on the 12th, that's not going to happen anymore because we're going to protect our assets, the ones that we value and put them towards that. If Miami is another asset on that level. And I think that Miami should be, especially even if it's not always been great this year, still have a name brand program, only one loss and the one loss was to the then number one ranked team in the country. Then you probably don't play that game on the 19th. So yeah. there's yeah. that, but even if you do, This game and then you could have that game being another game in the regular season. So it's not the be all end all referendum. But, you know, if Manny Diaz wants to be thought of for having this program on the trajectory towards the kind of success that you want to have and that he can prove that. Maybe down the line, even next year, he could win the ACC Coastal and be in contention for the ACC Championship game and things like that. This is a game that you have to win. It's at home. It's a revenge spot. You just had one of your best games of the year, your largest margin of victory of the year. And then you invite this team down, a team that you struggled against, a team that for all – I mean, you had the game won if you could stop them on 4th and 17 last year. Blew a coverage. Somebody missed an assignment. They hit a a flag route on a – on, on that concept they get out of bounds they drive down the field they score and they win the game so you want to recover from that so it's not the be all end all but it is a huge 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 point and this wow. is like i was talking about how the book and the movie for the born identity diverged at that point this is a point of divergence for manny diaz because it's going to be yes this is going to support you and have lots of people on your side if you win or it might not be the hot seat quote unquote that people were saying at the end of last year, but find a way to lose this game and trust and believe the negative commentary is going to be strong in this. Yeah,
0: That's kind of what I thought. And you know, and I get it. I get it. I get the takes I think will be hot on both teams seasons, no matter who wins. (laughs) Um, Well, for the loser, especially it'll be like you were disappointment. If you're Carolina or like, you can't win the big game or whatever if you're Miami and yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Okay, we'll we'll blow through Virginia Virginia Tech here since we're almost at the end. I will say this about Virginia. Um I, you know, people point to Carolina's bad losses and they mention Florida State and Virginia. Obviously Carolina won, should have won you should still beat a Virginia. But mm-hmm. like Virginia is five and two with Armstrong at quarterback and right. I think the two losses to Clemson and and Miami were by a combined 23 points. Like, you watch Virginia and you're underwhelmed, you know? And I get it. But, like, that's not Florida State. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. It's not – I don't think they deserve to be mentioned in the same category, except for that they were both losses. Like, (laughs) they're better than Florida State.
1: No, yeah, completely. It shouldn't be – and it's crazy to say that, yeah, it, you know, they're not on the same level and meaning Florida State being below Virginia. But, yeah, I mean, that is it a good loss? Like, no, obviously it's not a great loss to, uh, you know, lose to Virginia and everything, but it's a three-point game and everything like that. And then, you know, yeah, that's – but losing to Florida State, that was – and, again, the whole game, everybody who was watching was just like, what is going on? Like, Florida State is playing a kind of football that, that we haven't seen – you know, since Jimbo was their coach and not even as last year, like, you know, a couple of years before, you know, yeah. uh, and everything. And Carolina was just tripping over their own shoelaces. And it just like, looks like, okay, like, I don't even know when they were on probation. It looked like something like that. It was, it was just those first 18, 20 minutes of the game when Florida state got out to that huge lead, it was just, it was the twilight zone, you know? So yeah, that's really the bad one for them. Yeah. 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 For sure.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's the Commonwealth Cup, et cetera. At this point, you know, it, 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 who knows? Who knows how that game's going to go? Because who knows which Virginia Tech we see. So, um, yeah. My kid has shown up, so I probably have to eject. Um. <laughs> for the for the podcast but we've gone we've done a lot of good analysis cam tell everybody they can find you
1: uh instagram twitter and facebook we're at the state of the u my personal twitter account is at underwood sports where i tweet about all kinds of things including the video games and television shows and things that uh lauren and i talked about today and the website is state where we talk about miami all the time girls basketball sorry women's basketball men's basketball baseball recruiting football and more so come and check us out
0: all right. You're always one of my favorites to have on. Uh, thanks so much again. And it should be fun. I'm excited to see uh, the way the game plays out. And hopefully it's a good one. Um, I hope I think it will be. But you never know when those two get together. Sometimes some dumb things happen. Um, so, yeah, Carolina, Miami, I mean, but yeah,
1: <laughs> I thought uh, you meant you and I getting together. Dumb things happen. No, but that, hey.
0: Obviously, the the Game of Thrones content was just a bonus for everyone. Um, no, exactly. But, uh, all right. All right until well alex you can say hello into the microphone before you go since you're already here so say say goodbye alex can you say goodbye goodbye okay goodbye (laughs) (laughs) all right until next week everybody